You are listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World with Paul Stephen Jennings and Tom Rodone. Duncan, thank you very much for joining us um, and taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to have a chat about everything education and technology. Now, you've been involved in education technology for, for the majority of your career, and uh, mm. you must have seen some incredible changes um, over this time frame. Can you just give us a little bit of background, your career um, with both Apple and, and now with PyTop, and what you've seen, how you've seen technology and technology in the classroom evolving over this what, 18 years, I think, um, that you've been involved with this? Uh, I, I think what I'll do is I'll take you back a little bit further than that before I got into the sort of the um, the, the school education side of it. I, my career started as a, a man that was not in perfect uh, harmony with a machine. I was a programmer for one of the large banks in the UK and was not a particularly good one, if I'm honest. Um, but I got more and more interested in, in what makes people think, learn, how, how we got into it. And I got into the training division. Um, and we started looking in those days at how technology could enhance learning. Um, and we, we, we looked at what we, we decided to call a concept of the strategic approach to training and development. And we built all of our modules with pre and post learning, that the classrooms became much more of a discursive um, environment. And that, in a sense, we flipped classrooms back in the, the late 90s or mid 90s, 95, 96. And this was the National Education Training Group, became Skills Forced, and then went on to become uh, various other pieces as the industries sort of collided. Um, but the whole concept of blended learning from the 90s really started to inform a lot of my thinking and made me aware that technology can have a very positive impact in learning. I left uh, to actually join Microsoft because there was a project that was ongoing uh, or was an inception of a project and it's something that I'd sort of come to love. Um, and that was the whole concept of how you actually presented learning on a computer. And at the time, Microsoft was looking at creating uh, an online learning. Well, what, you, what we're doing now is using Teams, which I would say is probably, you know, the great grandchild of that project. It was the concept of bringing learning together in screens, in uh, text, in sound, bringing it all there and placing it in front of the learner. And the idea that you could learn from home was becoming um, very much more interesting, that you didn't have to go to a training seminar, that you didn't have to constantly turn up, uh, that you could do this as and when in bite-sized chunks. That was the time I moved on to a startup and we, we did similar things. We, uh, we worked with bringing together um, the concept of email, learning spaces and creating learning um, management systems as they were then known. This was NetMedia and it, it started around the Birmingham grid for learning um, and all of that sort of thing became a, a national um, charge for how do you get emails into children's uh, hands securely, safely and present content to them through it. You know, how do you give them their homework? Duncan, what year were you talking about uh, when you were at NetMedia? So Microsoft was 97 to 2000, NetMedia was 2000 on to 2005. And in that time, um, you know, companies like Digital Brain arrived and, and there were lots of people sort of popping up and offering uh, services. And it was more of an internet provider uh, with add-ons. And at that time, schools were very much you know, classroom based. And I remember being the warden of the computer center at school and we had three BBC micros and an Apple II. And we were excited. 
And when I got into Apple in 2005, there, there was a big educational um, spine in the company. It was Steve Jobs, really, who drove the whole education piece. And there was a very big push on education. Now, whether you know, the, the outcomes would have been to everybody's flavour, I'm not sure. But within the company, Steve was very opinionated that this should be a, an educational push. And you know, the concept that kids going into school and sort of sitting in desks and rows and um, you know, the idea of the interactive whiteboard having sort of brought new creativity and freedom into the classroom, when actually what it really did was entrench the position of the teacher at the front of the classroom controlling the data. And most interactive whiteboards became just that, whiteboards. Um, there was less interaction uh, other than maybe walking a child to the front to do something. You didn't put the technology in the hands of the children, largely cost factors. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it just reinforced that old style pedagogy. And I think that the feeling was that there needed to be more creativity. Yeah. So what, what we've seen now in the conversations that we've been having with different um, with with different members of, of the teaching fraternity and of, of schools and their administration is that, what you were developing, what you were working on, and what what the mission that Steve Jobs was driving, is becoming is coming to the forefront now. It is yep. we are seeing teachers younger. It's a it's a generation that's moving on from teaching, and there's a younger generation that is far more interested in being able to, you know, provide this blended learning environment, this project based learning, collaboration based learning, and they are interested in delivering that into their schools, which is happening now as we speak, rather than you know, when you started pioneering this, but it's taken going on 15 years to see the change actually filtering through into, into where we are now. And the likes of Microsoft, Google, Apple, the big players are constantly changing their solutions to be able to, to facilitate these changes in the classroom. But with that in mind, considering that there's a platform required to actually deliver all of this, it's not just the device in the hand of the child. There's an awful lot that goes behind that. And that's my core area of expertise is, is the networking infrastructure, the mm. server infrastructure. This is what I do. And I'm a mm. Microsoft fanboy, um, and, I, and I always have been. So I'd be really keen to get your insight, considering your history and the long history you've had with, with education-based technology. Who's leading the charge? Yeah, Microsoft, Google, Apple, the other yeah. players, obviously, as well. But those are, those are the big names that we know. I, I think you're right to actually say leading the charge, because I don't actually think that the 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 finish line is that is there yet it it was definitely it was definitely an apple movement they moved this they moved to the uh, everyone can be creative mo motif and uh, they they you know built that idea of you know sort of better presentational techniques doing video stop animation all of those things that came through Google got in there very quickly, and then I think they took over the baton as they built classrooms and they built management, and they they enabled teachers to have an, an element of control. And logically, I now think that the next step is Microsoft. Um, I think we've seen particularly, and, and, and COVID has, has accelerated and changed the landscape quite enormously. Um, and yes, he would say that, wouldn't he? I mean, <laughs> stating the bleeding obvious. It um, certainly has, yeah. But, but you know, it's changed it from in, in many ways. I think what we noticed at the beginning of this year is, you know, a dearth of keyboards and screens as people try to sort of get units out to children and, and, and run the emergency learning. I mean, I know that like, they like to call it remote learning, 
but you know sticking homework on a website doesn't count guys um you know those that got more involved those that actually sort of invested in platforms were the ones that began to reap the benefits <laughs> such as they were uh, of the of the covid um issues uh, and were yeah. able to very effectively bring in and i think you know facetime doesn't sort of hang in there um you haven't got you haven't got the google meets you haven't got the microsoft teams necessarily with apple they didn't have that infrastructure theirs has always been a loose consumerized sort of idea that you use the unit and the child has has the control i think microsoft teams uh, allied you know with their open 365 is probably going to be a core platform but hey Apple will fit nicely into that because they they run you know three six five beautifully. So for Apple, it'll be the devices. For Microsoft, I think it'll be the the, the platforms and the and the, uh, the infrastructure, and that that that's probably where those two will coalesce. I'm I'm a bit out of touch with Google, but you know from my point of view, I don't think they've developed enough of what they did. I think they got there and perhaps didn't bring it forward as much as Microsoft can now. And, and therefore, I have to tend to agree with you, Paul, that it, Microsoft looks like being the platform going forward that provides that enterprise-wide infrastructure into a school. And I think you have to start thinking about schools now in an enterprise format. Um, it's very interesting talking to a number of schools, particularly the school groups, um, those who have schools in different countries who have created um, you know, businesses out of providing schools, managing schools, yourselves being one of them, to not have a core platform and having sort of surrendered the decision making to the individual schools has cost them dearly. Um, it's it's twofold. Uh, one, you know, how do you suddenly sort of uh, um, become flexible and creative in a challenge as we've just had? And two, how do you know what skills you need in your teachers if you are, you know, constantly bringing in different teachers? And so that that new concept, I think, has to be having a core platform that people work around. And therefore, you know, if you're a multi-academy trust, I see no reason why they shouldn't therefore, you know, set out that, that we're going to work on a Microsoft platform. Yeah, and I, I think I'm, this, is, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing so much influence from the corporate world coming into schools at the moment. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. this this is very much a corporate. Imagine a global corporation standardizes on their entire platform. They even standardize down to individual pieces of hardware to ensure that it integrates and people can be trained on it, and it just makes sense. And we're starting to see that now with schools as well, where we standardize on a platform across the board. Devices BYOD is a thing, so devices can be relatively agnostic, but the platform itself needs to be rolled out on a global scale. And this is the corporate influence. This has been a very interesting journey for both Tom and I in, in doing these interviews with different subjects. And we are seeing in, from so many different angles, we are seeing this corporate influence on the, the, the education sector. And it's fascinating. I find it um, incredibly I, interesting to see. And it does make sense. I do, I do find the, the whole BYOD thing a, a little unnerving at times. I mean, you say that the device can be agnostic, um, but if you're sending out files, then unless you're actually working on something that is universal, and there's very few things that really are universal, um, BYOD can very quickly turn into bring your own disaster. Duncan, you left Apple to join PyTop.
and have uh, are now part of the sales team for PyTop. Can you give us a bit of an overview about what PyTop actually is, how it works, and how you're putting it into school curriculums at the moment? PyTop is uh, a, a small manufacturer based around Raspberry Pi who have been developing computer-based uh, learning modules uh, across the last four to five years. Um, in fact, it was founded on the basis of building the world's first 3D printable laptop. It's evolved to allow children to understand more about how computing works. By using the Raspberry Pi, what we've brought in is a very robust and versatile um, module into an even more robust and versatile surrounding, which is what the PyTop 4 is, and that is our latest product. It gives the opportunity for children to understand coding in real-life scenarios, and to do the physical computing elements of it, to actually put together something uh, with the lights and the sensors so that you can build an Internet of Things house, uh, to a rover, to data collection tools, to something that films birds flying in and out of a, a nesting box. The concept here is a standalone computing module that allows children to code simply and easily and to learn Python and Scratch and then to apply those to real-world scenarios, project-based learning activities, so that they understand how that coding fits into the real world. Can you just explain to, for our audience, really, how Raspberry Pi and with PyTop, that would fit into a, an ICT lesson, a makerspace? Uh, give us a bit of a sort of real-life scenario. Well, that's quite interesting because one of the biggest issues that I think that faces uh, people now is less about, you know, find the laptop, but as we've just been discussing in the infrastructure, but more about, you know, how does technology get taught in schools now and what should that be? What PyTop does is it very simply wraps up uh, through the use of the, the PyTop module and further, which is an online uh, learning resource that, uh, um, and what you've got there is something that very quickly brings to the classroom the ability to slide coding into an ICT curriculum. So whereas you've got to learn you know, how a computer works and, and what to do with it, um, what the PyTop does is it actually sort of lets you do that. And you can take the top of it off and you can look at the computer module inside it and talk about that if you want to as well. It's about bringing the physicality of computing into the classroom. A lot of schools are actually looking at how they can bring STEM learning to life in schools. STEM is this big thing. Everybody talks about STEM or STEAM, you know, if you want to bring the arts into it as well. But how do you get science, technology, engineering, maths into the curriculum? What we're looking at with further and we're looking at with the challenges that are based around further is the ability to do that in a cross-curricular approach, because when you get out into the real world, Nothing is sort of uh, compartmentalised. I mean, it's been interesting watching with the COVID-19 parents having to do mathematics and realising they've forgotten it all because they don't actually apply it. They've never had to apply it. I think the danger is to teach everybody computing and them never to apply it because they've never, um, it's all been compartmentalised. If you build a remote, a reverse parking sensor for a, um, a car, you sit in a car and mum reverses the car or dad reverses the car and you hear it going off, off, beep, 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 beep. How does it work? You probably don't actually think about it, but wouldn't it be interesting to know how you get the, um, you know, the buzzer to change the tone, the length of the bleep, um, when it actually sort of starts to recognise that you're too near to something? So what PyTop has done is we've constructed a whole series of things, and we're building a community of makers 
uh, in doing so who will come in and write their own coding. So we have people now taking um, the device, building it into a geology lesson, but actually having it so that it recognizes um, you know, earthquakes and, and is sensitive to the magnitude of the earthquake around the world. So that when you're talking about geology, you can start to bring it to life. It's, it's not just about teaching computing and ICT. It's about influencing all the other subjects as well. So in maths, you're doing data collection, so collect it with a computer and analyze it. Geology, as I've said, uh, you're starting to design for living. Uh, so therefore, you know, bring in the house and then there's science technology itself and you go into automotive design, electric cars. What are you going to do? How do you program? That sort of thing. In short, PyTop is about making STEM easy to use for the teacher and easy to bring into the classroom. Uh, Duncan, you, you mentioned this bringing STEM into the classroom. How are we going to get these things into national curriculum? There seems to be a lot moving around the national curriculum, but it doesn't tend to change. And obviously, in our case, we'll be talking about the British curriculum. It's what most of us uh, would follow in, in the Middle East as well, or a lot of us. Um, so how, how do we start seeing STEM and products like PyTop and the, and the learning, that it, learning environments that PyTop is creating? How do we see that incorporated into the actual national curriculum? I, I don't think that there, there are any teachers out there that don't want to see STEM coming in the classroom. I really don't think that anybody is going, no, 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 this is an evil we must, we must keep out. Um, it, it's, it's typical change management issues here. It's about, I, I want to, but I don't want to disrupt the learning. It's already disrupted enough. You know, I've, I've got to be careful how I manage the children. I don't really want them to sort of be left floundering because I don't know what I'm doing or because I can't, uh, you know, deal with the many different levels that are there. So it's incumbent upon people like us to, you know, build out uh, easy to use solutions to start with and then to facilitate the community. But it's also incumbent on us to work with those bigger players who have access. And we all know that Apple and Microsoft have government um, focused uh, managers who are talking to the education ministries about what needs to be done. It's our job and people like me and my colleagues at PyTop to work with those people. And having you know been in industry with them, I, I hope that I'm able to do that in order to sort of present that small part. And we become a part of something as opposed to, you know, standing against them. And, I, I, you know, we are not an alternative to Apple or to Microsoft. We are a player within that. And that is something that we, we try to do to make this work. Um, Duncan, you've mentioned uh, STEAM and how everyone and all teachers would encourage STEAM to be part of a curriculum and, and, and a core function of, of any education. How important will, do you see that coding and robotics is going to be in the coming years? So I, I think it's very simple to just put it in this way. You can either teach children to compete against computers for jobs, or you can teach them to manage the computers and to be responsible for their development and operation. If you teach them to compete with the computers, then there is only going to be a limited number of things that human beings will do that the computers can't at the moment. And, and when you're talking about data gathering or fact gathering or, you know, uh, I was going to say mindless, the wrong word, repetitive tasks, um, uh, those are not things that we can necessarily beat the machines at. 
And perhaps that sounds a very dramatic way to put it, but ultimately that's the world that our children will be going into. I mean, if you, if you look at those children now uh, who are walking into STEAM classes, walking into maker spaces and starting to do computer science, in 10 years time when they leave university, yeah, what sort of a world do you think we are going to be in? The electric car is, is, is slated to be here. Uh, we are going to be into a lot more automation. We may have drones dropping off our Amazon packages. We may have food deliveries trundling down the high street on buggies. All of those need programming. All of those need systems to actually control them. Are you going to teach people you know, to compete with that, or are you actually going to teach them to manage that? So my answer is very simple. It is vital to have coding and computer science built across the curriculums, not just confined to a silo where you can drop the kids in every couple of hours a week, but actually to look at how coding and computer science influences all levels of what they're doing. You've touched lightly on emergency learning, uh, something that you and I spoke about last week on the phone. And um, with everything that's going on with the coronavirus or COVID-19 uh, at the moment, can you just give me a little bit of a, a summary of why you choose the terminology emergency learning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the, the, the concept of remote learning is, is very different to what a lot of people have been delivering. Um, you know, a lot of schools have had to um, or have been mandated to provide something and, uh, you know, to keep the children occupied and to keep the parents supported in, in, in doing that. And hence my term emergency learning, because I don't believe that many schools had ever envisaged that they would have to sort of set up this sort of system. And therefore, for some of the reasons that we have, you know, discussed uh, within this this uh, conversation, they they were not there yet ready for it. Um, you know, the, the infrastructure was not there. Ha, you know, getting information out there. The, the, most children, you know, have to have access to a computer in order to do remote learning. There was an assumption that some of them would just grab their parents' work computers. You can't do that. You cannot have children on, you know, a, a, a corporate laptop or, or, or be something that is perhaps exposed to you know, whatever else is out there. That idea of, you know, a, a remote learning, in other words, I can be at home and indulging in the same things that I potentially might be doing in a classroom is, is far and away for many people not achieved. Um, there are some schools who were, were ready and, and uh, up, up and running to go with that. And those were the ones that had good infrastructure, that had the necessary um, uh, you know, bandwidth and, and also had all of the tools ready for that to do. But also they were the ones who had worked with their teachers prior to that to give them the skills necessary to do it. There is an assumption that just because you can run a classroom, you can run a meetings room on Teams or on um, Google Meets, and that's not necessarily the same. Um, you know, I have uh, my godson is a, a, a teacher in London, and he's been doing lots of Zoom meetings with thirty children at a time. And then, you know, you talk to him, and he's developed strategies, uh, but he's had to develop them himself. They were not things that he was taught, and he'd not used Zoom before. And, and you know, 
thankfully his charisma as a teacher has carried it through in the initial phases but now he's he's much more uh, able to do so and and gets good learning out of the children in if that's a good phrase um in doing so so i use emergency learning because it was in a time of emergency um the ability to provide some learning for children duncan if you were to be given a blank piece of paper, or in fact, not a piece of paper, um, I want you to try and focalise in your imagination where you see classrooms in 10 years. You've touched on it lightly already today, but try and describe to us what you think, with your experience, how you would imagine walking into a school and what you would see as the standard classrooms, not the specialist wings, which we've touched on enough, um, uh, but a standard classroom where you might learn geography or French. Uh, how is that going to look? How is it going to feel? And what technology is there going to be incorporated? Oh, that's, that's, that, that's a nice one. Um, <laughs> and always, always one that you can sort of ramble through. But let, let me touch a bit on what I've seen and love, which I think needs to sort of go forward. I think, you know, I'd be very privileged in, in terms of the companies that I've worked for to have access to a lot of places and a lot of schools around the world, which is, has been an, uh, part of the joy of the job I've done, to be perfectly honest. And for, for want of a trite statement, where I've been happiest is where I've seen the children happiest. And they seem to be very happy when they are in um, a very flexible environment. I, I, I look to schools like uh, the Easter Academy. Now, you know, people will point back and go, well, you know, are they continuing all of these things on? But there, there, certainly there was a period that I went to where um, under the right uh, management and leadership, the school was able to you know, really flex itself and transform. You you had a transformative environment. And I think that that is, if, as you say, if, if I was to sit down with somebody and, and build something, I'd want to build something whereby it wasn't a contained classroom necessarily. You now have options where you can buy cupboards and on the back of the cupboard is a whiteboard. You can turn the cupboard around, you know, storage is storage. Once you've got things in there, you're not necessarily pulling them out all the time. So you turn them around and the kids are writing and drawing. They use their technology to take pictures of that. They clean it off. It's transient. It, 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 it's a, uh, an extension of where they are. You might say, well, what's wrong with a piece of paper and a pencil? But, you know, it, it was about being able to sort of do bigger things, to stand up, to move around. The, the regimented approach, I'm not a learner who likes to sit still. In fact, as I'm sitting here talking to you at the moment, although you can't see me, my hands are flying around and I'm moving around. That's, that's very much, if you, if you stop me doing that, I, I start to struggle to actually, you know, put my thoughts into uh, words or to, to, to write down things. I need to be able to sort of move around and, and to be flexible. And I think that I'm not alone in that. I loved the, the the concept of being able to gather in a space and to form the furniture around you and just get on with it. And I think that that was lovely. What what also I, I liked was, and maybe this is down to my age, but you know, you go back to the whole little house on the prairie thing. And in fact, uh, you know, medieval times in Britain, the the education system was not built into grades you didn't just have you know sort of one year group working together the elder children worked with the younger children and there was elements then of the socializing but also the helping and 
it's been shown that if you help somebody understand a problem, you have internalized it yourselves. You know, being able to teach something means you've got to know it in the beginning. And therefore, having the children working with, with each other, I think, became very important. And working with your hands, building things, making things, that's innately what we do. That's what sort of has brought us forward in, in you know, through, through the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and, and all of these places uh, as we build things. And... And so the, that ability to grab pieces, to put things together, to build something, to illustrate what you're talking about. You know, we, we have children who come up with some fantastic ideas in a classroom. Wouldn't it be even better if they just dived into a box, grabbed a, well, yeah, here we go, a pie top, coded something on it using sensors and, and, and grabbed some Lego or some, some wood and they built something and they actually showed it to the teacher and said, that's what I'm talking about. And I think if we can get to that sort of a phase, that would be lovely. And you know, a lot of people be you know, listening to this going, ah, yes, but you know, you can't do that. There's this and there's that. And I'm talking about what I'd love to see, where, where it's been fantastic, when you've had that whole school learning. So Monday and Monday morning is mathematics for everybody. And people are moving around and they're, they're sharing mathematics and the older children are helping the younger children. The younger children are inquisitive and asking the questions and the teachers are facilitating and they're correcting and they're also you know, expanding. You've got the gifted and talented groups who are working and, and then pushing boundaries and, and probably working with those who are struggling a little bit more because they love the subject and want to share it as opposed to siloing kids into you're not achieving or underachieving or overachieving um, you know that to me is the classroom in the future it's a, it's a school that is flexible enough to allow that sort of thing to happen uh, Duncan back in 2005 you joined Apple on their education team uh, led by the great Steve Jobs you started to work on enabling children to learn through technology and in a more dynamic style you moved on to PyTop, a manufacturer of edu an education product that pairs with the famous Raspberry Pi to make a stronger, ro more robust, standalone computing model that teaches coding and robotics and ultimately the productivity of technology. You're very clear about how, cl how you see coding and robotics and how the future of education has to have a focus on STEAM and our children need to be working with computers, not against them in the future. Flexible spaces and dynamic teaching come up time and time again on this podcast. Happy children thrive and keeping them amused and focused is a vital part of education and one that clearly you believe in. It's been a great pleasure to hear your thoughts today and we look forward to working with you and with PyTop in the future. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Thank you for listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode soon.